So good to have you uh, here with us today. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, or you can just look on the screen here in a moment when I read from Luke chapter 19. Uh, Today, a very short and simple sermon. Okay, I don't know if you like the short or the simple best, but uh, maybe we'll have both today. It's simply entitled, The One Thing. And I'd like to welcome all those who are watching live feed. I know a lot of people are watching on the live feed today. Go Velocity, as for the people that I know are watching in one regard. And also, uh, Ray Copeland, we miss you, man, and we want you back. Uh, Brother Ray is recovering from knee surgery, and uh, I know he's watching. Uh, Everybody tell Ray hi right now, would you? Okay, they said hi, Ray. Hope you have a great day, buddy. Here we are in Luke chapter 19. We've just come off of a season where we have focused on our relationship with God as Christian stewards. Uh, Being a steward is the understanding that God owns everything and He allows me to take care of it for Him, okay? And if you're a Christian or a believer, you really get that. You understand that everything belongs to God. You came into this world with nothing. You're going to leave this world with nothing. Everything you have right now has been handed to you by God, and God is allowing you to take care of it for Him. Uh, there is a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 that says... Moreover, it is required in stewards, that's who we are, it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. Okay, so God is looking at us today and He's saying, okay, here's what I want more than anything, for you to be faithful, okay, for you to be a good steward, a a good Christian, a faithful Christian, for you to be obedient to my word, for you to do what I'm asking you to do. And so today I want to focus on a different aspect of our stewardship. And that is the one thing that we are to be about. And the one thing that we should be doing. The thing I'm going to talk about today should be our priority. It really is the reason we are here. Let me begin by asking you a question. Why did Jesus come into this world? You don't have to answer it out loud, but try to answer it in your mind. Why did Jesus come into this world? You see, if we understand that, we will understand better why we are in this world. Now, Jesus knew why He had been sent by the Father into the world. And He stated it very clearly for us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, our key verse. Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I love the way the ESV or the English Standard Version translates this verse. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. There you have it. That's why Jesus came. Jesus clearly stated why He came into this world. And as Christians, we have the exact same mission. Our mission as Christ followers is pretty simple. Though we often try to make it complicated and even unattainable. It is only to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to take absolute and complete control of our life. For us to take our hands off the steering wheel of our life. For us to stop trying to drive our own life and allow the Holy Spirit to have control of our life. For the Lord to direct us every single day down every path He wants us to go, leading us into every conversation He wants us to have with other people. 
to understand it is by His grace and His power that our lives have been transformed through His death and resurrection. And then to spend every day the rest of our lives simply following Him. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus said, It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. I wonder, as, as a Christ follower, is that the way you see yourself? As a student striving to be like our teacher, Jesus. Or as a servant striving to be like our master, Jesus. This is at the very heart of what we call discipleship. A disciple or a Christ follower is someone who routinely does what Jesus did. Who is always trying to do what Jesus taught us to do. So Jesus marks off the course of our lives. And really, we, we don't have the freedom to just live our life any old way that we want to live. His priorities become our priority. What He wants is what we want. But you know what? It's, it's real easy in the day in which we live to get off track, isn't it? Hmm. I wonder, have you ever taken the wrong turn and then realized, hey, I'm going down the wrong road? Raise your hand if you've done that. Okay, the rest of you are liars. Because I think we've all done it. Uh, I've done it just a few times in my life. But uh, I remember one time I did it, and man, it, it's, it's just still there etched in my memory. Happened many years ago. In fact, it was between my junior and senior year when I was at Hillsdale College. A good friend of mine named Mark, uh, who played the guitar and sang, he and I decided the spring semester that that summer we were going to go out and preach revivals and youth camps. We were, we were going to have kind of a, a summer evangelistic crusade, all right? And so we got word out that that's what we were going to do over the summer and uh, told all the other students there on campus. And some of them called their pastors or youth workers and, and said, hey, there's these two crazy guys. They're willing to come preach a revival for free, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so we started getting phone calls. It was amazing how these phone calls came in. And this is the way we, Mark and I kind of operated. If somebody called and said, hey, we want you uh, the second week of, of June, we just put them down. We didn't care where they lived or who they were. We just wrote them down. And, and, and all of a sudden, our calendar was full for June, July, and the first week of August. The crazy thing was we were all over the map. Because we just took them as they came in. So we might be in Texas one week, Arkansas the next week, Oklahoma the next week, Missouri the next week, back down to Texas the next week. We drove over 10,000 miles in those nine weeks. It was absolutely crazy, but we had the time of our life. Uh, the, the hardest trip we made was... Uh, we were down in McAllen, Texas for the Texas State meeting. We did a youth rally down there. And the very next day, we had to be in Corning, Arkansas, which is up in the northeast corner of Arkansas. That is over 1,000 miles. And we had, we had less than 24 hours to get there. And so I'm driving. Remember, Mom and Dad, we had that van. I traded my car for a van that summer. And, and I was driving the van and uh, got into Dallas, Big D, and it was raining, cats and dogs, it was dark, traffic was horrible. And I knew where I was going because I've been through Dallas before. But I missed my road. 
I meant to get on I-30 going to Texarkana. I was going to Sherman. In fact, I was past McKinney before it dawned on me that I missed my road. And I can still remember to this day the, the, the sickening feeling that came over me when I realized what I had done. I could not believe it. I mean, how could a native Texan take the wrong road in Texas? You know what, here's the deal. If we are not paying very careful attention as believers and as a church, when our master tells us to go a particular way, we can miss the turn and we can end up way out of his will. Well, Jesus knew why he had come into the world and he wanted his disciples to understand that this was their purpose as well. So, are we doing the things that Jesus would do if he were walking hand in hand with us today? I'm challenging us as a church today and you as an individual believer to make this priority in the life of Jesus your priority. Let's make sure that this is our priority as a church in the year 2013 and for every year to come. Let's talk about the priority of the one thing. Priority number one, it's simply this, inviting others to Christ. And this flows out of the very clear stated purpose of Jesus when he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, as a church, we keep this before us in our purpose statement. Uh, it's only three words. Anybody remember our purpose statement? See how we're doing here. Win, train, sin. First service, only one person said it. So <laughs> I think they were afraid to talk, but y'all aren't afraid to talk. On the given cue, you can talk, all right? So, so win, train, send. That's what we are about as a church. What is it? Win. We want to win people to Jesus. We want people to understand that Jesus loves them and wants to save them. Then secondly, train them in the Word of God to become a disciple or a follower of Christ. And then the sin part is, after they've been won to Christ and trained, they go back out into the world, into their circle of influence, so they can share Jesus Christ with the world. Jesus loves people. And Jesus wants to save people from their sins. Jesus wants to give you life, abundant life here on planet earth and eternal life in heaven. Jesus came into this world seeking you. Jesus came for you. I remember when I was a kid, my Sunday school teacher used to tell us all the time, if you were the only person on planet earth, guess what? Jesus would have come to earth and died just for you. And I believe that. Jesus loves you that much. And as believers, we understand that His passion should be our passion. That His priority should be our priority. You might say, well, how do I do that, preacher? I'm, I'm, I'm a little fearful. You know, I'm kind of, kind of scared asking people if they're a Christian. I'm, I'm a little timid in that. I, I don't know how to do that. Well, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 4.19. Jesus said, come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. He's going to help you do it. You don't have to do it in your own power or with your own skill. You just follow Jesus. 
Moreover, it is required in a steward that one be found faithful. All Jesus is asking you to do is be faithful to him. You follow him and he will make you into a fisher of men. Has it ever occurred to you, follower of Jesus, that Jesus just wants to climb inside of your body and to do his work through you every day? He's living inside of you by His Holy Spirit. And He intends to make your body His home. He wants to use you to get the good news out to the rest of the world. Now, what I want to do for a few minutes is just drill down into this story that we read here in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And see exactly how Jesus lived out this priority in His life and ministry. Are you ready? I'm kind of excited about this. Can you tell? Oh, I wish you were. Maybe you will be here in just a second. Here's what I want to do. I've got three observations about Jesus in this story and then three skills that I want you to see that you can learn that Jesus employed. Jesus used these three skills and we can use them as well. Observation number one, Jesus noticed people that others ignored. That's interesting. Jesus noticed people that others would just simply ignore. Look at verses 1 and 2. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. That's a fun name, isn't it? Say it with me. One, two, three. Zacchaeus. Fun name. Gail, I remember singing about old Zacchaeus when he was a wee little man. Yeah, And all the little motions. We'll sing that in a minute, all right? There's a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And depending on what translation you're reading out of, it says he was either wealthy or rich. He had a lot of money. So we're introduced to a man who worked for the RRS, the Roman Revenue Service. He was a tax collector. Not just a tax collector. He was the man. He was the chief tax collector. And his name was Zacchaeus. Now, I didn't know this until this week, but I found out that his name, Zacchaeus, means pure and righteous. (laughs) Some of you are laughing. But you know what? When we first meet Zacchaeus, he is anything but pure and righteous. He was a dirty, rotten scumbag. Hated by everyone in his town. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. But you know what? Jesus didn't really see what Zacchaeus was. Jesus saw what Zacchaeus could be. Jesus saw his potential, just like he sees yours. Now let me say a word about tax collectors. They were among the most hated people in the Jewish society. The Jews were dominated by the Roman Empire. And the Romans would send their armies into every little Jewish city or city-state or village to control the people. And what the tax collectors would do is collect money for the Roman government to fund their army. So the Romans would come in, they would find a scumbag in the city who was a Jew, and, and they would hire that guy to be the tax collector. And they would tell the tax collector, okay, there's, there's Steve Tabor out there. We want 100 bucks every quarter from Steve Tabor. And it would be the job of the tax collector to go collect that $100 for the Roman Empire from Mr. Tabor. But here's what the tax collector could do with the authority of the Roman government behind him. He could charge Steve 125 bucks, Give the Romans 100 keep 25 for himself. Or he could charge Steve 150 or 200 
And with that extra money, guess where he put it? His hip pocket. Can you understand why the tax collectors were hated? Even though they were Jewish citizens themselves, they were hated not only because of them ripping their native countrymen off, but they were also taking money to supply an army to oppress them. Wow. But there's something else going on in Zacchaeus' life. Look at verses 3 and 4. He, Zacchaeus, wanted to see Jesus. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Was it merely curiosity? Perhaps. Maybe, maybe he was so lonely because of his wealth, because of who he was. He was rich, but he had no friends. Hey, have you heard me say you can't buy love? Just quoting a great song there. You can't. You can't buy love. And even with all that cash that Zacchaeus had, he was very lonely. Why? Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to be around him. And he had heard that this Jesus had gained a reputation as a friend to sinners and tax collectors. Ding, ding, ding. I'd want to see him too. Hey, finally, maybe somebody who would be my friend. Whatever the case, I can just imagine Zacchaeus trying to squeeze his way through the crowd to, to get to a place where he could see Jesus, but he couldn't because he was short. He couldn't see over the crowd. And so here is a grown man climbing up in a tree to get a look at Jesus Christ. And Jesus notices people who others ignore. Nobody cared about Zacchaeus. Nobody paid him a bit of attention. Even as a grown man climbing up in a tree, nobody noticed him except for Jesus. And notice what Jesus does. Here are these three essential skills that Jesus employed in Zacchaeus' life that we need to understand. Number one, Jesus saw the man. Jesus saw him. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Jesus noticed Zacchaeus. Not only that, Jesus knows Zacchaeus. Jesus notices people that others ignore. He can spot people in the crowd. Hey, that's the way God is. This, this is amazing. Okay, if... if uh, if you were kind of above this uh, worship center and could see through the, the ceiling, you would just see a group of people, a mass of people. However many we have here today, 450 in this service or, or whatever the number is. You'd just look down and see, there's all those heads, there's all those people. That's not what God sees. When God looks down on this crowd, He sees you. He sees you. And not only does He see you, He knows you. And he loves you. You say, well, big deal, preacher. It is a big deal. Because I guarantee you there will come a day in your life when you feel all alone and that nobody cares about you. Understand, Jesus knows you. And Jesus cares about you. And Jesus loves you. And if we are to be involved with Jesus as he seeks and saves those who are lost, he will cause us to begin to notice people as well. I want you to just think for a moment. 
about all the people we pass by every day, whether they be at work or at school or in stores or at the gym. Every day we're crossing paths with hundreds of people. Let's learn to see those people through the eyes of Jesus as he brings them into our circle of influence. Because every day he does. Let's see him as Jesus sees him. His prized possession. Now, my boy Zane, I don't know where Zane is. There's old Zane. Hey, Zane. How you doing, bud? You know Zane. He plays sports. He's played football, basketball, baseball since he was just a little bitty tyke. And, and do you ask him what sport he likes the most? He'll tell you whatever sport he's playing. Yeah. Right now it's baseball because we've started baseball. Okay? Uh, we've, we've gone through boys club and all that stuff. Now we're in the seventh grade. Let me tell you, sports changes in the seventh grade. Okay? We were, we were introduced to this in Greenwood this year when, uh, when we started football. Coach Thornton, the junior high football coach, got all of us parents together in a room. Uh, Wes Camilla, y'all remember this meeting we had with him? He laid the law down to us. He told us as parents, this is the way it's going to be. If your son is going to be a student athlete, this is the way it's going to be. He, said, he gave us this list of things. He says, as a parent, you will do these things. You will not do these other things. We had to sign a contract of the way we would act at football games. But I'll never forget what Coach Thornton said. He said, when you're up there in the stands and you're watching a football game, I want you to realize that that quarterback did not mean to throw that interception. He feels bad about it. That running back did not mean to fumble the ball, and he feels bad about it. That linebacker did not mean to miss that tackle, and he feels bad about it. And we don't need you up in the stands yelling at those kids, telling them how sorry they are because they did that. And he said, when you're up there as a parent and you start yelling at somebody else's kid, what are you thinking, you idiot? Yes, parents do that. Later on, we realized, Wes, that some of the parents didn't sign their contracts. He said, you realize this, when you say that up in the stands about a kid that's down on the field, that their parents and their grandparents are sitting up there with you. And we are. My boy plays quarterback. They yell at the quarterback no matter what happens, good or bad. You know how it is. You know what, that, that dawned on me and made me realize, you know what, the, the, those other kids out there, they, they're good kids and they're loved by their parents. Don't you love your kids? Come on, don't you love your kids? Don't you love your grandkids? See, there's a transformation that takes place, isn't there? Yeah. You don't want anybody talking bad about them, do you? I can tell you this, before we entered the seventh grade, back when we were in, 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 you know, playing pit bull football, Mama, Angie, had to get up a few times and walk out of the stands because of the things parents were saying up there about old number 11. Because if she didn't, she would have put them in a spinning toehold.
So again, Coach, what Coach Thornton told me was, it's so true. It's so true. There's, those kids are loved by somebody. You know what? In a bigger picture, it's made me realize that when I look out on a crowd of people at a mall or at a ball game or in a church, you know what? God loves you. God loves them, whoever they are. They are loved by God. And at first, I may not be able to see their potential. I may only see them as a dirty, rotten scumbag, but God sees them in a different light. I was talking to a guy yesterday. I didn't tell this story in the first service. It just it kind of popped in my mind. I was talking to a guy yesterday. At a, we were doing our cowboy shooting and having a good time with that. And I, I, I was talking to this guy that uh, um, is, lives in this area. And uh, I found out where he went to school and about what age he was. And so I said, do you know so-and-so? One of you. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but do you know so-and-so? And, and, and he says, oh, yeah, I, I know him. I remember him from school. Uh, he was always in trouble. <laughs> Y'all getting who I'm talking about? He just happens to be on our church staff. He's the only one that has hair on our church staff. He said, he said, yeah, man, I hadn't seen him in 20 years. He was always in trouble. I was digging it, man. I was loving it. I said, yeah, but you know what? I tell you what, the Lord got a hold of this guy's life and changed him and transformed him, and he's not the way he used to be anymore. He's a new creation. He said, besides all that, he is on our staff. And this guy's eyes got about that big. He said, you're kidding me. God sees our potential, okay? And so Jesus saw the man. We need to see people. You got that? We need to see people as Jesus sees them. Second observation is this. Jesus engaged people that others rejected. And the second skill is Jesus spoke to the man. Jesus not only saw him, he spoke to him. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus doesn't just notice Zacchaeus, Jesus engages Zacchaeus. And before they are introduced, Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name and everything about him. You know, here's the point I want to make. It is so easy for us to get so absorbed in our daily life and in our daily to-do list that we just don't see the people that God is bringing into our paths every day. What we need to do is lift up our heads and get outside of ourselves and take seriously our belief that God so orders our steps as to put these people in our path so that we can influence them for Him. I call these things divine appointments. And I don't know exactly how it all works out in the command center up in heaven, but I'm just speculating it might happen something like this. One morning, God may say to some of the angels, Okay, here's old Johnny over here. Johnny's wife just left him. He's about to lose his job. He's depressed. He's out of sorts. But you know what? This is a good time in Johnny's life because he is open to the gospel. And so I'm going to use Will Harmon today to run into Johnny. Johnny's going to go to Walmart and buy some oil because he's going to change the oil in his truck. And he's going to be so down and depressed, he's got his head down, he's going to be pushing his cart. And he's going to smack his cart right into Will's cart. 
divine appointment. God's bringing Johnny into my life so that I can talk to him about the Lord. But you know what, Jason? I've got a choice in all this because I do have a free will. Okay, That's why we are free will Baptist. I have a free will. You know, I can, I can be so absorbed with myself at Walmart and so concerned with what I'm doing that when Johnny's card hits my card, I could look at him and say, Dude! I mean, what are you doing, man? Or I could say, Man, boy, you look down. What's going on? Here's what I found out, that if you will only engage people and talk to them, see, that's the secret, simply talking to people. If you will begin a conversation most times, not everybody, but in most cases, people will end up telling you a whole lot more than what you ask for. Because in this high-tech, low-touch world that we live in, people are desperate for relationships. They're needing someone to talk to. And I guarantee you, if this is a divine appointment, if God is bringing that person into your life for you to be a witness to them, they will talk, but you must talk first. You got to care. So Jesus saw the man. Jesus spoke to the man. Finally, number three, Jesus summoned the man. And this is where the invitation comes. Jesus actually invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Look at verse 5b. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Really, think about it. That's bold. Zacchaeus, get down from that tree because today I'm going to your house. Bold, right? Brent, that's bold. I could say, Brent, what are you having for lunch today? And Brent says, oh, my lovely wife Tara has made this wonderful casserole. I said, good, I'm coming over to your house. I'm coming, dude. I'm coming. Now, yeah, well, Brent just could <laughs> You'd let me come, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. That's bold, man. I'm coming over your... The point is, we need to be bold. If this is really the priority of our life, we will be bold. A lot of us are timid when it comes to talking to people about Christ, are we not? We're afraid, are we not? What, what are we afraid of? Well, I think we're, we're afraid of being tagged, you know, as a religious freak or whatever. And you know what? That could happen to you. That could happen. Gary, there are a lot of people that I know in the river, I've lived here 15 years now, there are a lot of people who when they see me coming, they go the other way. They, they avoid me. And, and I, I know it's not because of me, because everybody likes me. They're avoiding what I represent. And I understand that. That's just, that's just part of it, guys. You are going to be rejected. You are going to be re But if it's our priority, we're going to be bold. Because the Lord wants us to be bold. He's going to empower us. He's going to make us fishers of men. All we've got to do is engage the people and ask them. Be bold about it. Jesus said, I must come to your house today. That's why Jesus, in order for you to be saved, He must come into your heart, into the house of your life. And you need to be bold in witnessing. I was, I was trying to... 
Think first service of the people I asked this week if they knew Jesus as their Savior. It's something I just try to put into my, my everyday life. And you know, it, 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 even, even, even me, the preacher, sometimes I'm a little timid in doing it. I'll admit that. But we need to be bold, right? I was at uh, McAllister's uh, this week. I was all by myself, and I was having a sandwich and some soup, and I was sitting over at an isolated table because I was working on a sermon, and, and uh, you know, I had my head down. Where this little girl kept coming by. That Are you okay, sir? Yeah, I'm okay. Do you need something, sir? I'm fine. Can I get you something, sir? She did that about a dozen times. Every time she walked by, she'd check on me, see if I was doing yeah, Fine. Okay, I'm okay. Good. We're good. Okay. Don't need nothing. She was just doing her job, doing a great job. Last time she came by, she said, uh, can I take that plate out of the way, and do you need anything else? I said, you know I do need something. I, I, I need to ask you something. You know, she started freaking out. I said, I just want to ask you, are you a Christian? Just want to know if you've given your heart to Jesus. You know what? At that point, Tim, at that point, this conversation could have gone any number of ways. She could have ran and got her manager and kicked me out of that place. I mean, it, there's no telling what could have happened. That's the scary part. You don't know what's coming next, right? She lit up like a Christmas tree. She said, yes, I am a Christian. I love the Lord. I said, where do you go to church, hon? She said, I go to E.T. Brother Don Hutchings is my pastor. I said, I know Don. He's a great guy. She, Isn't he the funniest guy in the world? Yeah. And we just carry on this little conversation, and, and then at the end I say, you know, you just keep living for Jesus and keep being a Christian and, and tell others about the Lord. And she said, I will. And she walked off. You know what? Next time I go in, if she's in there, we're going to be buds, me and her. Very simple. This is not rocket science, but it comes from a passion that we have in our heart. How did this story end? Verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. Well, of course he would. People like Zacchaeus listened to and responded to Jesus because they knew that Jesus loved them unconditionally. And let me tell you, if this is going to work in our lives, we're going to have to shed our layers of self-righteousness and we're going to have to be real with people. They're going to have to know that we genuinely love them and we genuinely care for them. So, Jesus noticed people that others ignored. Jesus engaged people that others rejected. And the third observation is Jesus transformed people that others gave up on. As a result of this encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus' life was transformed. He repents of his sins and Jesus announced that salvation had come to his house that day. And then Jesus reminds his disciples, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus used this encounter to teach them and remind us why he came in the first place and why we are still here in the world today. Jesus says to us, See, this is what it's all about as far as I'm concerned. The reason I left you here when you gave your heart to me is for you to be my ambassador, for you to be my witness. So, our focus must be on inviting others to Christ. 
In everything we do as a church, the focus must be on bringing people to Jesus Christ. You know why churches die? Because they lose the number one thing. They lose focus of what they're trying to be. They want to become a social club. We're not a social club. We're a hospital for sinners. And individually, we need to be looking for opportunities that God brings into our lives every day for these divine appointments. You know what? Here's the deal. It's going to happen today. When you leave this house of worship, God's already orchestrated it in heaven. He's got somebody that he wants you to say something, to, to invite them to church, to encourage them, to be a witness. You know, there, there are dozens of people in my life right now that I know are not saved and they're out of church. And God continually brings these people into my life. God's doing it for a purpose. Sometimes we play sports with people and, and I have to look at Angie and I say, Can you, why, why, why are we stuck with these people? That was supposed to be funny and only three of you laughed. Yeah, but year after year after year growing up, we, we, were, we were with the same, same people. And you say, why, why? Why are we with, you know, the reason it, divine appointment. I am to influence those people. You know what, just, just yesterday I invited a bunch of cowboys and cowgirls to come to Cavanaugh Church. Did, cowpoke didn't I? I? We were at our church scenario and I was reading the scenario and I said, glad, glad y'all came today, here we are, we're finishing up with the church scenario. And I said, one thing I want you to know, you're always welcome. Every one of you are always welcome at Cavanaugh Church. Anytime you want to come, you can come. And individually I talk to these people all the time. You know what? I'm investing in them because here's what I know. Sooner or later, something is going to happen in their life when things get out of sort. Sooner or later, something bad is going to happen and God is going to get their attention. And when God gets their attention, a little light's going to come on and say, you know what, I know, I know a guy that's a Christian, that's a preacher, that, that I know he cares about me. I, I, I know he cares about me. I'm going to call Will. And I'm just waiting for that to happen with a bunch of these guys. That's what God wants us to do. Just be faithful. So here's, here's my invitation today. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you don't know for certain today, right now, that if you died today, you would go to heaven, I'd like for you to come and talk to either me or one of the pastors, and we can show you from the Bible how you can be saved and how you can know you're saved. Okay, so that's number one thing. Second thing is this, for the rest of you who are believers, would you come today and just say, Lord, I get it. I understand. This is your priority. I want it to be my priority as well. So, Lord, I'm volunteering. I want to be on your team. Help me to be a witness for you. Make me a fisher of men. And you know what? Right now, Ronnie, right now, I believe God is putting on your heart and my heart and y'all's heart a person that you know that needs the Lord. Right? Maybe you're seeing that person's face. You know, maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're your next door neighbor. Somebody you know that needs the Lord, right? You got them? Would you come and pray for them? Would you intercede for them? Lord, would you, would you speak to their heart? And Lord, I'm available. Use me to talk to them. Would you do that today? Heavenly Father, I do love you, and I thank you for this time in your house and in your word. Thank you for the great worship that we...